listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey. Hey, everybody. I hope you're having an amazing, safe, COVID-free week. I um. Man, I, I, I keep waiting each week to see if things become different where I actually don't have to run through my house looking for a mask five minutes before I leave the house because that's just been my new norm. I never can find my mask. It's worse than my house keys. But no, that 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 is the way that it's been. And I, I'm hoping that everybody out there has been listening to my podcast and just feeling positive and that you're quarantining with people that you enjoy and that you are at least spending quality time with yourself. I know if you're listening to my podcast, you're doing so. So thank you so much for spending time with me. This week, I wanted to get into some yummy discussions about sex and relationships. And I had to speak to an expert who not only knows a lot about these topics, but also has a podcast herself. And I am talking about the author with a PhD. She happens to be a TV host and a speaker. Dr. Jess is with us all the way from Canada right now. Hi, Jess. How are you doing? I'm so good. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. So you're in an area right now where you guys don't have to wear your masks. You're not required for it, right? We have to wear them inside. We don't have to wear them when we're outside. So you don't have to wear them when you're walking down the street. Uh, and if you get to a restaurant, you wear it inside until you sit down at your table and then you can take it off. Are you guys dining inside in your restaurants around Canada? They, well, so it's all different because we're, it's so damn big. But in Toronto, yes, you can dine inside, but uh, it's limited capacity. And honestly, most people are opting not to. So when you live in the Great White North, you wait all year to eat and drink on a patio. Like, pat, everybody just wants to be on a patio. We're not trying to be inside because we know that winter is coming. Oh, no. Oh, my God. That's so good. But then it's going to get freezing cold. So that might be better for you guys, right? Uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a winter person, so I'll, I'll be uh, moving around back, back to my, my family's homeland, I think. Oh, man. Well, doctor, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for getting in good, getting in deep with me when it comes to this topic, because I love getting different women's perspective. And for you, how did you become a sex and relationship expert? Like what led you to this field? And what did your parents think when you said that you wanted to venture into this? Dear God, I'm Irish Catholic on my dad's side and Chinese Jamaican on my mom's. A Chinese so, Right? Yeah, Jamaican, we call ourselves. So you know we are not allowed to grow up to be anything other than, you know, a surgeon, maybe an engineer, but you've got to, definitely sexologist isn't on that list. So it was an accident. Honestly, I became a high school teacher and I was teaching downtown Toronto students uh, in and out of the system, 15 to 20 years old. And they were coming to me with all of these issues related to sex and relationships, unplanned pregnancy, STIs, uh, abusive relationships, unhealthy relationships, and they didn't know where to turn. And so I said, you know what, I've got to go back and do research in this field to support teachers because there's no book, right? If you teach math, there's a book. If you teach history, there's a book. They're rewriting it. Thank goodness. But there's nothing when it comes to sex and relationships. So my background was really supporting and training teachers. That's my passion. It's not what I do, you know, for a living. There's no living in it, but there's a lot of passion in it. And um, yeah, it was a total accident. I didn't even know the word sexologist existed when I signed up to, you know, go back and study this. Yeah, you're right. And I, I've joked around a lot about this with other experts on my show when it comes to any education about sex was the observation of my teacher rolling out this dusty ass television into the classroom, popping in an equally dusty videotape into the VCR, and then 
pressing play and leaving the room for like two hours as we watch these like weird tadpoles come at each other and then a couple of fallopian tubes suck into each other and then all of a sudden you see this green baby coming out of somebody's puss and it's like a whole, it's terrible. It's just, and then the next thing you know, some guy's trying to get down in your pants and you think you're supposed to follow along and do whatever he says. You, yeah, you think you're supposed to get your fallopian tube out, right? <laughs> Look for the tadpoles. <laughs> so bad. And then everybody in school thinks they're sexologists, like the girls that are fast that happen to have had some, you know, some experience with a senior is going to tell you everything you need to know about having good sex. And it's just so terrible why this has never been communicated in households. The same way your parents want you to learn about being careful and not talking to strangers, that we don't teach this so that we're comfortable about such an intimate subject, about something that we're all going to dive into. But some people have to wait until they're 30 or 40 to learn about the fact that we don't want you to jam things in there like that and that we don't feel like it's sexy for you to be rough like, you know, they tell you to because it actually is really cheesy and sometimes being sensual is actually cool and manly. You know, there's so many weird things to it that you learn later on, but you've got to go through like 10 bad eggs to learn this. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why it gets better with age, right? We, we, we think in the media, it's always like young people having sex. That's who's portrayed on film, but it gets better into your forties, fifties, sixties, and beyond. The clitoris isn't a doorbell. It takes a long time to learn that. Yes. Yes. They, they always say that sex is better in your forties, but I, I, you're right. It's not about the age. It's about the fact that you know what you like and you know what is corny by that point. Yeah, and you know how to ask for what you want, and you know how to say, you know what, actually, let's try this instead, right? You don't you don't just, like, sneak away quietly and ask your friends, oh, he did this, how do I get him to stop? People always ask me that, like, how do I get my partner to stop doing this one thing? And I'm thinking, well, I can't get them to stop. Tell them. It, it's incredible how all I have to say is, well, why don't you try talking to them? And you, you talk about that all the time, about communication. I was just going to say, communication is the number. If I had a sex tip for anybody out there, it would be first... Learn how to communicate. Learn how to tell them what you want. Be honest. It's sexy. It always is honest to say exactly what you want. In fact, have you ever heard yourself actually audibly describe what you want to see go down there? It's really enticing. Yes, especially if you're an audio person. Like, I love the sound of somebody's voice more than I like the way they look. And so if you can talk my ear off, I also say you can be lazy in bed. You never have to get on top if you're good at dirty talk. You can just talk their ear off from down below, drive them wild, and you're, you barely have to wiggle. So on those tired nights, just use your tongue. So as a sex and relationship expert, tell me two of the most surprising things that somebody would need to know? What are two things that you feel like you're still teaching today? Uh, number one, that the clitoris is not all on the outside. It's also on the inside. And so, you know, back in the day, I, I'm going to go through this because I see you kind of like wandering yeah, I there. This. I should have got my clitoris puppet. It's over there though. You have a clitoris uh, puppet? Go get it. No, get up and go get it. Every good sexologist has a clitoris puppet. Let me get her. Let me get her. Virginia. Your clitoris puppet is named Virginia? Well, I mean, we call her Virginia. She's not just a clitoris. So if, if we go back to the myth of the clitoris. So first we have to talk about the vulva. We have to talk about the vulva. So vulva is everything on the outside. The wait, outer lips. I actually don't know this. Okay, wait, what's the vulva? Everything on the outside. Everything. 
Yes, so the outer lips, the inner lips, the hood of the clitoris, the head of the clitoris. When you open up the inner lips, you find an area that's a little bit shiny, and this is called the vestibule. And in that area, you'll have the entrance to the vagina, as well as the little opening that you pee out of. And so if you ever aren't using enough lube or you're not feeling super wet, and that's okay if you're not wet, by the way, sometimes, you know, the body just doesn't cooperate in the way you want it to. Sometimes those lips will stay shut or not shut, but they kind of close over and it feels like you can't get into the vestibule. So a little lube helps. But here's what I want everyone to know. The clitoris is not a doorbell. We often think of the clitoris as this little pea-sized bump at the top of where the lips meet. But that is not the clitoris. That is only the head of the clitoris. Inside, the clitoris is comprised of erectile tissue. It gets boners, like a penis, only better. And it has legs, a shaft, it has legs, a shaft, and bulbs. So all of this fills with blood, engorges, swells. The legs can actually extend. Oh, there's a hair on my clitoris. There we go. <laughs> the legs can extend and wrap around the vaginal canal. And the reason I bring this up is not because you have to memorize any of this. It's because when you rub on the outside and kind of rub and grind and play, that stimulates stimulates the inner bulbs of the clit. And so it can feel so good not just to poke on the head. I make everybody take the doorbell pledge where you say, I will not treat the clitoris like a doorbell. All right. So anyone who's playing with a clitoris should know, but rubbing all around via the lips and you know like wrapping your hands around the top can feel really good that's because of the internal components of this big beautiful beast the clitoris wait okay in actual size how big is the clitoris oh that that's whole a, thing you were just holding how big is that's a good good question um she is going to be a, maybe a couple of I have to think about that. A couple of inches when the legs extend back. The head is quite small. The area that pokes out uh, might be like half, uh, I'm thinking in centimeters, like an, a little eighth of an inch, or it can be bigger. So it's just like the penis. So you know how the penis has a head and a shaft, and it has the corporate cavernosa, which is the area that fills with blood and the spongy tissue? The clitoris has all of the same parts, and we explain it as... The clitoris and the penis are actually derived from the from the same parts in utero. So when the when you're developing in utero, you all have the beginnings of a clitoris, and somewhere between six and eight weeks, there are these shifts that you know either create a penis or create a clitoris. So could you imagine taking a penis and just poking on its head, like right? No, you play with the whole thing. So similarly with the clitoris, to rub the whole thing, you're going to be rubbing and grinding on the outside, even feeling through the inside, but not simply poking on the head at the top. Okay, so how do you, well, I also notice if you stimulate only the clitoris too much, it's, it's actually not fun, right? Yes. Like you can't, it, it, like if you just focus on even if it was that little head, it's not, it's not desirable. No, it can be like, it can feel too much because you've got like, you've got thousands of nerve endings in this little action-packed region. It's just, it's too much. And actually, you know what will happen is if it becomes too sensitive for some people, the little head right here will actually retract under the foreskin or the hood. So this is actually like the foreskin of the penis. 
Yeah, this is your foreskin. I mean, it's not yours isn't going to be as flappy as this one. But yeah, you know how there's like a little tiny hood over the top of it? Yeah, but I thought that that was it. I thought that that was the clitoris. That's a little hood, like the little sunroof that goes. A little sunroof. I like that. Yeah, the 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 head, it's a part of the clit. The whole thing is the clit. I thought that was my clit. I thought that my clit had a, like a little visor. It does. Do you, do you see a little tiny round dot? Because some people's will uh, protrude more so it's easy to see. And some people's is harder to find. But you can still, I know you're looking down. Go ch- Go check it. Do you want to take a break? Go check it. No, I don't. I'll look at it later because I want to get a mirror down there. Good. And everybody should do that. Wow. I feel like that puppet should be a really good popular Christmas gift. And what's the little pearl there? Why does it have a little pearl in the center? Um, I think that's supposed that's supposed to represent the urethra, like the little hole that you pee out of. And then if you reach inside, there's a little ridgy part in here. That's intended to represent the G area, which is actually a part of the urethral sponge. And it's not actually inside. If you want to hear about the G spot, um, it's not actually inside the vagina. It is kind of in simple terms sandwiched between the vaginal canal and the bladder. So if you reach into the vagina and curl your fingers up, you'll feel an area that's a little bit more textured, uh, a little bit more ridge-like. But if you were to reach in now and try and find it, you probably wouldn't feel anything because you're not aroused. As you get more and more aroused, that's when you're going to feel the blood engorge in the area and it feels a little more prominent. But it's important to note that not everybody likes having their G-spot played with. Just like, you know, you were saying too much on the head of the clit. That can be your experience. It happens to also be mine. But for other people, they love, you know, really serious vibes going to town. So the only thing that matters is your body and your response. So if your partner says, no, 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 you're supposed to like it here. It's your G-spot. No, no, no. You know your G-spot. I don't know your G-spot. I don't want to know your G-spot. You figure out what you like and you communicate it to your partner. And it can change with your cycle. Like what feels good on day one might feel awful on day 15. So you can kind of experiment and see what works for you. And is that the whole, that that's the whole money spot where you, you, you activate the scortage, right? Yes. So uh, ejaculation is a real thing. It's not like a circus trick. There's no Super Soaker 2000 down there. So you talked about sex ed, right? And wheeling in and the, the old school approach. Well, for the next generation, sex ed has become porn. So we know that in the absence of comprehensive sex education that talks about pleasure and shows depictions where do people turn people of all ages are ourselves included we turn to porn because it's the only place we get to see real live sex unless you're a sexologist we get to go to resorts and clubs where you see it but anyhow in the absence of that we turn to porn and porn squirting is all the rage right it's always like squirting across the room taking out camera two camera two's down we gotta you know dry it off the cameraman has to wear goggles but in real life squirting is a little bit of a misnomer uh you can ejaculate but it doesn't necessarily go across the room it can be a little bit of a dribble so i always tell people if you've ever had the sex and after the sex you get up and there's a big wet spot and then you make your partner switch sides with you because you're not sleeping in the wet spot obviously you've probably ejaculated you just didn't see it in a discernible way. And so, yeah, so it's, uh, and it's, you know, there's some research suggesting that uh, it comes out of the paraurethral glands draining into the urethra. And it's similar to prostatic fluid in men, minus the sperm, minus the semen. So we have to take a break, but I have many questions when we come back. And one of them, I would like to tap into inorgasmia and what exactly 
it means, what exactly it doesn't mean, and what we can do about it. So okay. when we come back from the break, we're going to rejoin Dr. Jess. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Listen, Honey, where we are with sex and relationship expert, Dr. Jess, who has also brought her own guest, Virginia, her vagina puppet. Um, thank you so much for bringing her. And she's just beautiful. She's all sorts of awesome. So I want to ask you, since we're on the topic of orgasms and how to get the best orgasm, what is inorgasma? This is something that's kind of come up in topics as women are getting more comfortable talking about their sex. Can you describe what inorgasmia is? So anorgasmia is the inability to orgasm, right? So maybe it's primary, meaning it's always been this way. Maybe it's a later onset, meaning you can sometimes orgasm, you sometimes can't. But the reality is that many people don't have orgasms, especially when they have a partner in the room because they're not doing what actually feels good for their body. So for example, some people are anorgasmic with a partner, but orgasmic on their own. And so I'll just ask them, okay, so what do you do on their on your own? And they you know, say, oh, well, I take my vibrator and I vibrate it here, or I rub I rub right there. And I say, okay, so, and you can orgasm. Yeah, I can orgasm. No, what do you do with a partner? Well, you know, we kiss and we go down and we do that. And then, and then what happens? They're jackhammering. Well, of course you're not having an orgasm if it's not what works for you. So in those cases, anorgasmia is, you know, really treatable. Use your hands when you're with a partner. Reach down while you're having intercourse. Use a vibrator. There are vibrators you can wear during intercourse that actually have a really thin line that slide into the vagina so a penis can fit in in the same time if that's the type of sex you're having. Of course, you know, the data actually shows that women who have sex with women have more consistent orgasms than women who have sex with men. But there's nothing that these lesbian women are doing that guys can't also do, right? You've got the fingers, you've got the face, you've got the tongue, you've got that nose to get in there. So oftentimes it's a matter of switching things up. So that's the physiological route and approach. Now, of course, there are many other reasons we don't have orgasm, right? So it could be recovering from trauma. It could be that we have mental or emotional blockages. It could be simply that we're distracted, you know? So if we think about folks being quarantined at home, dealing with the stress of COVID, dealing with, you know, being hypervigilant everywhere we go, being mindful, having to remember all these extra things and extra rules, we are so worn out at the end of the day that we're simply too exhausted. Uh, sometimes we feel disconnected from our bodies. Uh, sometimes it's you're just having a day and you're not going to have an orgasm, which isn't necessarily anorgasmia. So you've got all of these different reasons. So when it comes to inorgasmia, can you cure it after you find the right partner who will take the time to find the spot or find the method? Or are there some people out there who just cannot have orgasms? 
Oh, that's a great question. So I'll, I'll address the first part first. So I don't know that it's just about the partner. Oftentimes, it's really about you. So for example, there are some people who have never had an orgasm masturbating, and they don't feel like they don't know what to do. They're, they feel disgusted with their body. They've been dealing with sexual shame their entire lives. And so when I say, you know, when you ask if that's curable, I think there are definitely things we can do to bring more pleasure. Another reason people don't have orgasms comes from performance pressure, right? So you create this negative feedback loop in your head that I'm not going to have an orgasm. I'm not going to have an orgasm. And then what happens? Cortisol spikes and you go into the stress response instead of into the relaxation response, which is required for sexual pleasure and sexual response and orgasm. So the minute you start thinking about it, just like when you know someone with a penis loses an erection, if they think it's going to happen, well, of course it's going to happen because cortisol spikes and you don't have that relaxation of smooth muscle tissue that'll allows for erections. Well, guess what? We need the same thing. Oftentimes, when we're too stressed out, we're not relaxed enough to get our erections. Not that we have to have an erection in our clitoris to have an orgasm, but it doesn't suck. It can help. So uh, are there people, the second part of your question is, are there people who will never have an orgasm? It's possible, but I don't know that it's because it's you know a part of who they are or their countenance. I think it may have to do with maybe not wanting to work through, not having the tools. That mental blockage you were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say that every single person does have the ability to orgasm? I would say almost every single person because there are always exceptions, right? So just like, you know, um, parts of our body, like we can say everybody's born with two ears, but not everybody's actually born with two ears. But yes, I would say almost every person has the capacity to orgasm. Here's the other thing. Not every, not everyone wants to orgasm. Huh? <laughs> Who? Who? Oh. You know, um, so I don't want to conflate anorgasmia and asexuality. I want to be, be really clear about that. But there are some folks who don't desire sex. There are some pe- people who don't experience sexual attraction at all. So folks who identify as asexual don't experience sexual attraction. That doesn't mean they never have sexual partners because it might be a part of a relationship. It doesn't mean that they don't enjoy sex. It doesn't mean that they don't have orgasms. So I want to be really clear about that. But just as there are people who don't experience sexual desire and attraction, there are also people who don't desire orgasm and you can have sex and love it without having an orgasm, right? You probably have, we've all had a day where we're not going to finish or we're, I mean, maybe that's not the appropriate word, but <laughs> you've never had that day, but one what day. What is this day? Why, why would you get into it if you don't finish? Well, I well, think okay, because. No, no. What I understand what you're saying is there are days where you don't need to finish, where, you, where you're so pleased or you enjoy just the present of each other and the intimacy that you don't need to finish. Yeah, and the connection and and sex is pleasurable, can be pleasurable without orgasm. I, I, I misspoke and shouldn't have said finish because one thing we try and do as sexologists is take away a specific finish line. So maybe orgasm isn't the finish, but you know, I'm using this colloquialism and I shouldn't have. So that even, you know, it speaks to the fact that we've made sex one thing when sex can be so many things like sexual connection can, can occur in so many different ways. So what's the best advice for somebody who is in orgasmic? Um, so if you're on your own, masturbate more, really just like enjoy touching your body, take pleasure in, in all the physical, like our Western culture is so repressive when it comes to pleasure. You know, when we eat in the West, you have to be quiet. You have to chew 
really, really quietly. We can't just, mmm, ah, I was eating some sushi the other day and my friend is like, you're moaning with every bite. Well, it was really good sushi. But I've, I've been told that I'm supposed to suppress that reaction. So can you find other areas, like if you're sipping a great wine or even if just something feels really good, to let out some sounds and give yourself permission for pleasure? I agree majorly when it comes to audibly letting it out. I think people, ooh, this is going to be a bold statement, Ready? Are you guys ready? You're going to come for me. I can already feel it. (laughs) At me. Here we go. People who audibly are free, moan, talking what they like, narrating what's happening. Those people have better sex than people who are silent. Oh, I I think that's fair. Especially if, if it's a natural expression right it's it's just it's allowing your sounds to emanate without inhibition yes it's almost like when you stretch if you are for if you you probably don't think about it but let's say you say if you if you were instructed to have the biggest yummiest stretch but to stay as quiet as possible you're going to be self-conscious about it and you're going to be like see but if you really let it out yourself like first thing in the morning and you're like that's when you really get in there and you let it out, you know? So I really do feel that people who are sexually free, audibly, vocally, have better sex. They just really let all of the crescendo take place, you know, with the climax. I think that makes sense to me. Honestly, in fact, you know that with deaf folks, they make sounds in bed that are so different from hearing folks that they retrain them to make sounds that are, cult- that are you know, socially appropriate. When I, I think we all probably do it. Probably there are moments in time where I just want to make like a really bass animal sounding, ugh. But maybe I adjust it to like, ah, uh, a little bit more because that's the sound I've been told yeah, we through sound porn. Yeah, pretty. Not I, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. But it is nice when you find that partner where you can just go ahead and just, uh, I've started, I, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with my partner to that point now where I'm like, oh, uh, you know, I start doing all these weird sounds because I, I, I think it's really fun when you can also be funny in bed at that time, uh. you know? I love that because they always say that communication is the most important element. I think a sense of humor is a really close second. Not only that, but it's the sexiest. Yeah, if you can't laugh, because sometimes there are going to be sounds or fluids or, you know, even smells or anything that you don't love in the moment, you have to be able to laugh. And it's not the last time you're having sex. Like, it is not a disaster. We have to take it sex seriously, of course, in terms of emotional and physical safety and relational safety. But sex doesn't have to be serious in every way. Like, you can mess up. You know, you're trying to say, like, oh, I want you inside of me, but you accidentally say you want to be inside of them, and you flip it up. Like, whatever. Move on. It's okay. So... You mentioned one. Uh, you you mentioned one thing that I do want to circle back to because I find it very important and hardly ever talked about, which is trauma. You said one reason people can be inorgasmic is if they have suffered from trauma and may or may not realize it, but it's called it's caused a blockage in their sexual enjoyment. So how do we break through of that? How do we even know that we're suffering from some type of traumatic traumatic experience? How do we know if it's affecting our sex life and what can we do about it well if you've experienced trauma it likely affects and informs every 
movement, every experience, you know, over the course of your life. It doesn't mean that it's at the forefront, but everything from our past in some ways informs our present and future. And so sex, of course, if you've experienced sexual trauma, there's healing work that you're going to want to do. And so that might be with a, a therapist. It might be on your own through journaling. It might be through a cultural practice. So I think we have to remember that prior to therapy, um, you know, ancient civilizations, Eastern civilizations, we had community support to heal more generally. It didn't look like Western therapy, you know, psychotherapy, talking to a therapist. So there are many different journeys to heal through trauma. There, I know so many incredible sex therapists, especially people of color sex therapists, doing work in for, for trauma survivors online. Um, even just talking about how you how you feel about sex, what your early messages around sex were, and journaling those, writing those down, having a community with whom you can share that can really help. And of course, being able to talk to a partner. And you, you talk about you know having a partner you're comfortable with. It really is essential. Not necessarily, if you're single, of course, you can heal on your own. I'm not suggesting you need a partner to heal, but you certainly need a partner who's understanding and willing to move at your pace and willing to understand that like sometimes something can feel really good and other times that same something can feel really triggering. And anybody who's experienced trauma knows that like, for example, something aggressive on Monday might feel really great, but that same aggression on Thursday might feel really unsettling. And so you want to be able to communicate uh, to your partner without worrying about how they're going to feel, not 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 worrying about, you know, how do I reject them? Just being straightforward and honest and and raw. Yeah. I first off, I encourage anybody of my family who's listening to this, if you do have more questions when it comes to trauma and sex and healing, please do reach out to me when you listen to this podcast because I'd love to connect you directly with Dr. Jess and Maybe you can be connected with any of these therapists that she recommended. It's not until you talk about it will you understand what you may or may not be blocked by. You know, I, th- I know that this was something for me personally. And even though, you know, I had went through some trauma when I was a kid, when I was seven years old, you have no idea that that comes out in different ways today. And it doesn't have to just mean your sex. It can also, for me, it comes out in the way I flirt. It comes out in the way that I engage with guys. It even comes out in the way I date. And this is a whole nother podcast, which if you want to hear about, hit me up and and, and I'll definitely dive into this. But it comes out in other subconscious ways and can really stand in the way of your ultimate confidence without you even knowing it because you've always done it since you were 20. You've always flirted that way. You've always dated that way. You've always guarded yourself that way. So it just seems normal. But A, you should change. You should always change and grow. And B, you never know until you talk to somebody who can kind of ask the right questions to hit those buttons. So that's that's very helpful, Dr. Jess. Yeah. And you know, some people actually heal through sex as well. I was talking to a woman the other day who dealt with sexual trauma at a young age and through BDSM, through finding these different roles of dominance and power, she was able to learn to assert herself in new ways. And so the healing wasn't only through sex, but sex was actually a really big part of the journey. So there are there are so many ways that sex and trauma are connected. And, and many practitioners of BDSM will tell you um, that they have worked through some of some past trauma through BDSM. Although I should note that people who are kinky do not have higher rates of trauma because that's another like conflation that, oh, if you're into that, it's because you were traumatized. Not necessarily slow, so. Oh, that's a good point to make. Thank you. 
Dr. Jess, where can we find you? Where can we find more of your work? I know that you can support Dr. Jess through her Instagram, Sex with Dr. Jess, which is an amazing Instagram page. I, I love your post. It's so informative. But where else can we find and support you? Ah, you can find me on the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast every week. And you're going to be joining us on the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Wait. And I have, I have a new book. Can I show you my book? Please, yeah. yeah. So it's co-authored with Marla Renee Stewart, and it's The Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay. And honestly, uh, so it's, it's, it's not just about seduction and foreplay. It's really erotic theory and different questions and prompts you can use to better understand yourself and your own needs and your partners. I want one book. I'm going to order one. I'm going to send you one, of course. Thank you. But I, I, you know what? If to win one of Dr. Jess's books from me, please screenshot or hit me up on the DM a part of this chat that hit you the most, that you liked the most. It could be something we just talked about. It could be an interesting point that Dr. Jess brought up. And I will get you one of Dr. Jess's books because it's so cool. I, I, by the way, I don't draw a lot of things, but I draw two ladybugs humping really well. So that's so random that you have that. I, I draw it all the time. On The Real, we have these segments where we call them Mom 411, and us four ladies are sitting behind a desk, and we're acting like secretaries, writing and taking orders. I'm drawing humping ladybugs all the time, and I'm passing it to them all the time. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> thank you so much, though, for, for sharing that book, and thank you so much for your wisdom. I, I so appreciate talking to another woman who's so comfortable and candid about having healthy and good sex. Thank you so much. Well, I wish you healthy, good sex, happiness for the rest of your life. Thank you. Take care of yourself, Dr. Jess. Listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey, listen, 